are still guessing a little bit, but in the 11th year, which is getting, according to our timeline, getting very close to that time where Jerusalem is actually destroyed. And if we make an assumption here that this is the first month of the 11th year, uh, which is a reasonable implication from what he has stated here, um, we're, we're about a year away, uh, very get, but getting very close. And we'll, that, that'll come later. Uh, really doesn't come into play here, but just, just to kind of set the stage for us here. Now, the second thing that we see in these verses is that this is a judgment upon the city-state of Tyre. And very much like in the previous lesson, we saw that the nations of Ammon, Moab, Edom, and the, the Philistines last week, all of them but the Philistines were punished because of their rejoicing in Israel's hardship. And this, it's the very same way uh, here in our passage in, in Ezekiel. She is being judged because... Uh, because of her rejoicing in Israel's hardships. Now, Tyre, Tyre is a coastal city in southern Lebanon. Uh, it was a trading port, and, and it was very much a, a center of commerce and was among the principal cities uh, of a group of cities uh, referred to as collectively as Phoenicia. So the Phoenicians uh, were sea traders mainly, and and lived on the coasts, uh, looked up Google Maps to see where Tyre is in relationship to the rest of the world, and, and here you can see Tyre is, is right here, very close to Israel. If I zoom in, uh, you can see Jerusalem is down, down in this part of the map, and Tyre is a coastal city up here, and these are modern cities, modern day. Zoom in a little closer on modern-day Tyre, and you see that, that it's a pretty well-developed uh, metropolitan area. There's about 170 or 180,000 people living in this area. It is still uh, involved in trade and economics. And if I zoom in a little bit more, you can see that, that the area of Tyre, uh, this is... This is the city of Tyre, and this area here that I'm kind of circling, that was once an island, and it was a fortified island, and, and there were walls all around the island protecting it from attacks from the sea as well as from the mainland. There was about a 700-meter gap, 700 meters uh, 2,300 feet, just under a half mile between the island of Tyre and the mainland. I found a picture, uh, an aerial photograph taken in, this is present-day Tyre. Uh, this picture was taken in 1934, uh, one of the first aerial photographs, and you can see the, what was had been the, the island of Tyre here, with this sand jutted land bridge between the two now. That wasn't always there. And we'll get into to why that is later and, and why it's no longer an island. It's an interesting story. I'm, I'm hoping you guys enjoy it as much as I did. But all this land has been developed now. So what, what, was, what was their entire... Uh, that made it wealthy uh, because it was a very wealthy and very powerful city, uh, one of the leading Phoenician cities. And the answer to that is pretty simple. Tyre had come up with a, a process of making purple dye. Uh, and it was made from uh, mollusks, uh, seashells and, and things that, that they were able to get freely. Uh, and this dye was purple dye, and one of this this actually is a is a 
a silk tapestry. Uh, it's called the the shroud, silk shroud of Charlemagne. It's actually from the ninth century A.D., so not from the period of time that we're talking about in the, you know, six hundred or so uh, B.C. But it's made of the same dye, this Tyranian purple, as they as it's referred to. This dye was made. Um, by the Tyranians. Uh, it was very valuable. It was more valuable by weight than gold. <laughs> and, and there were some reports I read that said that in order to buy a pound of this dye would cost you three pounds of gold. So much more valuable than even gold. Uh, and something that only the, the very rich and very powerful could come to. And this is the reason most historians believe this dye is the reason why purple has become associated with royalty. It actually was the color and the dye used in, in uh, early Roman Catholic Church history uh, before they switched from purple to red. Uh, this, this is the dye that was used, this purple. So that's kind of where... Uh, the city of Tyre found her niche, and and she became very wealthy because of this, and, and the fleets that she had, everything that was associated with wealth and power in that part of the world, in this part of history, uh, was brought to Tyre. So she was a very wealthy nation and very powerful in her own right. She was also kind of friends. The, the dye is made from these uh, these sea creatures. Uh, they, the shellfish were caught, and word has it that it took about 10,000 of these shellfish in order to make enough dye to dye the hem of a garment. <laughs> so it was a very labor-intensive thing, and I'm sure slaves were used to do most of this. Uh, but the archaeological expeditions around the city of Tyre, as well as the city of uh, Sidon, which is just a little further to, nor to the north, also a Phoenician city, um, mass uh, quantities of, of these shellfish casings and spoils uh, are found around these cities from the, from the making of this dye. So all of this, you know, again, made them very powerful, and the influence of the Phoenicians grew until in the, the time of the uh, kings of, of Israel, from David on down, uh, the Phoenicians were a very powerful nation, uh, in, you know, the, equal to or, or roughly equal in power to the Assyrian Empire as well. But the Phoenicians were mainly a seafaring group that, that kind of, took possession and, and uh, you know, had a lot of influence on seacoasts. The purple that you see here in this map shows where the Phoenician Empire kind of extended to. So all of this, you know, led to them becoming more wealthy, more influential, more powerful in the, in the area. So this was, these, this was a big deal. Uh, these people were you know, again, very wealthy, very powerful. They had a, a big fleet of ships for commerce as well as for conquest. Uh, they had a, a very well-developed navy in their history, and and everything was kind of going well for the the residents of Tyre and the Phoenicians. They were friends with Israel. They had a really good working relationship with King David, uh, and it was a, a good enough relationship that when Solomon was given instructions by God to build the temple. He made a request to the to the king of Tyre for cedar. Uh, would you would you supply cedar to help us build this temple to God? We can read about this in First Kings, uh, chapter five, verses eight and nine. So Hiram, who was the king of the entire, sent word to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message which you have sent me. That message was requesting materials. 
And I will do what you desire concerning the cedar and cypress timber. My servants will bring them down uh, from Lebanon to the sea. I will make them into rafts and go by sea to the place where you say, where you direct me. And I will have them broken up there, and you shall carry them away. So they had a very good working relationship. Now Tyre was compensated very well (laughs) for providing cedar to Lebanon, the King Solomon sent food, sent other things as well. Uh, so they they earned their, you know, they wasn't just, uh, you know, here here's some here's some lumber. It was a business deal, and and Tyre uh, did was well compensated for their cooperation. So let's get back to our passage in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 2, uh, or Ezekiel 26, let me go there. Ezekiel 26, verses 1 through 2, and we've read it. uh, But it says that, that they were elated over the difficulties that, that Israel was having. And so God continues in this passage, Therefore, in verse 3, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre. I will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. And I will scrape her debris from her and make her a bare rock. She will be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God, and she will become spoil for the nations. And her daughters who are on the mainland will be slain by the sword, and they will know that I am God. So like Moab, like Edom and Ammon, Tyre will be judged because it rejoiced to see God's chosen people under hardship and and suffering. So those who who hate God's people hate God. And those uh but those those who are enemies of God's people are enemies of God and God promises to bring in this passage he promises to bring many nations against Tyre uh to spoil it and and take its resources and and clear clear that island of all of its strength, uh, strong fortifications and kill all of its inhabitants. So continuing in Ezekiel, uh, verses 7 through 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings. So this wasn't just a, a lot of people are going to come against you. He says, first of all, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come against you, specifically identifying Nebuchadnezzar. It says, King of Babylon, King of Kings, with horses, chariots, cavalry, and a great army. He will slay your daughters on the mainland with the sword, and he will make siege walls against you and cast up a ramp against you and raise up a large shield against you. The blow of his battering rams he will direct against your wall and with his axes he will break axes he will break down your towers because of the multitude of his horses the dust raised by them will cover you your walls will shake at the noise of cavalry and wagons and chariots when he enters your gates his men enter a city that's been breached with the hooves of his horses he will trample all your streets he will slay your people with the sword and your strong pillars will come down to the ground. So God specifically says that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be his instrument, his chosen vessel uh, for wasting uh, the city of, of, of Tyre and, and bringing, actually, uh, bringing God's wrath down upon many ungodly nations. God has strengthened Nebuchadnezzar for this purpose so that he could, he could carry out God's work in punishing the nations. Uh, Babylon's horses and armies, uh, you know, at the time that we're talking about in Ezekiel's day, Babylon was was a very powerful nation and getting more powerful. 
We've we've spoken in the last several weeks about how she was carrying out this this siege against Jerusalem, which by now is at least two years uh, in in the process. So the, the siege against Jerusalem is ongoing, has been for a while. Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar also will go against Ammon, Moab, and and the other nations. But here in in Tyre, he's got a problem. So. In the passage that we just read, where was Babylon's strength? His strength was in armies and chariots and horses. Well, at this time, Tyre, as I had mentioned, was an island. And that creates a few problems for a, a, a nation whose strength in battle and strength is in chariots and horses. They don't do real well in water, uh, as Egypt learned many years before this. So, Something else has to happen. Now, Babylon did have allies, did have resources to hire mercenaries, but most of the seafaring powers in the Mediterranean Sea at this time were Phoenician and weren't going to be very effective against a Phoenician uh, city. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar came to Tyre and destroyed the mainland city of Tyre and did all of those things that God God said he would do on the mainland. But the island fortress uh, was unconquered. So Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar laid siege against the city. Now that siege, now we know that, that Babylon is relentless in its sieges, uh, because of what they did in Jerusalem, what they are doing at this time, at the time this prophecy was written down, she had been surrounding Jerusalem for three years without giving up and didn't give up until ultimately the city fell and was destroyed. So, so Nebuchadnezzar set up a siege against Babylon or against Tyre, uh, tried to as best she could keep her from getting reprovisioned from the sea, uh, which wasn't completely effective. But he did lay siege against Jerusalem. And we know this, uh, there's, there's not a lot of archaeological record, uh, e even on the island. <laughs> uh, some of the ancient Phoenician structures uh, they have located, but most of the, the uh, because of the nature of of ancient warfare and everything else where everything was destroyed every time you captured a city and then they used the resources the, uh, from the debris to build the new city uh, things got used over and over again and so there's not a lot of archaeological evidence to support uh, the this Babylonian siege against the island and I say that only to mention that that there's a lot of people that don't think it happened. Uh, but we do have some historical writings, uh, in, including from Josephus, who we all know was a first century uh, Jewish historian in Israel or in Jerusalem, who was working for the Romans to write a history of the Jews. And in his writings, he said this, I will now add the records of the Phoenicians, for it will not be superfluous to give the reader demonstrations more than enough of, on this occasion. In them we have this enumeration of the times of their several kings. Nebuchadnezzar, he spells it differently, but I'm going to say Nebuchadnezzar because I can't even start on that one. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Tyre for 13 years in the days of Ithobal, their king, and after him reigned Baal ten years, another uh, king. So this king, this Nebuchadnezzar, besieged Tyre for 13 years. And, and there are other writings uh, that support this as well, so I don't want to say archaeologically there's nothing to support it. Uh, there are some cuneiform tablets in the British Museum from this era that talked about some of the kings, you remember how jo, uh, King Josiah, or not Josiah, but but uh, I'm not got the right name. It's probably on the next page. Um, but when when 
Babylon attacked Jerusalem and carried the kings back to, to Jerusalem, Jehoiachin uh, took King Jehoiachin back to Jerusalem and kept the king captive in Babylon. Well, they did that with other nations and nation states as well. And so this this tablet in the British Museum has a record of some of the kings that were in captivity during this time. And one of those kings is identified as an unnamed king of Tyre. So, you know, there are archaeological evidence to, to support this as well. So we know that the siege would be a long one. And, and at the end of that siege, uh, apparently there must have been a, a peace treaty uh, come up with after that long siege. So some of the stuff that's in the prophecy didn't come to pass during a, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's siege. But we need to understand that, that God wasn't surprised by this. Uh, he knew it was going to be a long siege. You know, even though if you're reading just in chapter 26 here, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar is going to bring all this about. But in order for that to, to have come about, you had to have forgotten the passage that said, many nations will come against you. Uh, didn't expect it. God wasn't surprised that it was a long siege. If we jump ahead to chapter 29, where it's talking about the fall of Egypt, actually, uh, in in chapter 29, verses 18 and 20, let me get there. In verse 18, it says, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder was rubbed bare. But he and his army had no wages from Tyre for the labor that he had performed against it. What this is describing is them being there a long time, working hard, heavy labor. Their shoulders were chafed from, from the work that they were doing. Their heads were made bare. I don't know whether that's from old age or from you know, wearing the protective armor that they had to wear uh, during the siege to keep from you know, uh, several reasons for that. But, but the implication here is that it was a long, hard labor for which they received no benefit. They didn't get the riches of Tyre as a result of that siege. So God is giving here in this passage, it's saying that because Babylon did what I wanted them to do in Tyre, I will reward them by giving them the riches of Egypt. So that's kind of what this passage is saying. So Nebuchadnezzar uh, didn't take the island. Uh, he instead received his benefit elsewhere. And again, you know, as, as we look at this, we, we see that, that the prophecy at this point is really only partially fulfilled. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had taken the mainland city and laid waste to it, but the island city had not been destroyed, uh, much less thrown into the water. So the fulfillment of this prophecy would come later. Uh, and if we go back to the, the map I had up earlier of, of the city, you know, if you're going to try and take this city and you don't have a real strong navy, strong enough to defeat the Phoenicians, uh, what are you going to do? Well, some guy came along about 250 years later, some Greek upstart by the name of Alexander. And we all know Alexander the Great. Alexander the Greek, Alexander the Great came and he had been working his way south uh, after having taken several other, other nations and his influence was growing, his power was growing, uh, and he had captured uh, many Phoenician cities along the way, along the uh, coast as he worked his way to the south. Uh, some of them he took by, by defeating them in battle. Others just by capitulation. The cities just, you know, recognized that Alexander was it was this juggernaut that they couldn't resist, so they just gave in and and became subjugated to them. But Tyre uh, was not going to be this way. There's a uh, history kind of tells us that Alexander wanted Tyre, 
but saw that it was going to be a formidable task to take because of the circumstances that Tyre was in, her, her heavily fortified island nation that, that was very powerful, very strong navy, very, very formidable enemy. So she wasn't going to be an easy conquest. Uh, so he tried to say, look, uh, you have a temple in your city that is, is uh, oh, Lordy, I don't have this written down either, uh, but is one of the gods that I worship. I want to come and make an offering, Hercules. Uh, you have a temple to the, to the Greek god Hercules, and I want to go there, and, and because I identify with Hercules, I want to make a sacrifice in this temple. Well, the tires, the, the, the Tyrians saw this as a subterfuge and said, no, you can't do this. So uh, here comes another siege. <laughs> but uh, Alexander had a plan. He was going to build a causeway between these two nations in order to get his army over to it. So he started this, and, and here's kind of illustrating a little bit what, what he was going to do. And he, he built a causeway across and got the, the 700-meter gap was real shallow at the mainland side, so he was able to make very quick progress. But once he got into deeper water, the currents were strong, so he had a lot of issues with with building the causeway and where he got his materials oddly enough was from the destroyed city of the mainland they just took all those debris dumped them in the sea and built this causeway this mole as it's called and once he got close to the city the the people of tyre uh, kept harassing them with arrows and fire and everything else from the top of the walls these walls were uh i don't don't really know how tall they were but but some people claim that they were as many as 40 meters tall which is like 120 feet tall so they were formidable uh may not have been that tall that may have been myth uh but they were still significant so the people of tyre were were raining arrows upon alexander's armies as they were trying to build this causeway to come across so Alexander built siege towers, uh, had a lot of material to use. He was able to use the cedars of Lebanon to build siege towers <laughs> to destroy Tyre. So they moved these siege towers out to the end of the causeway so that the workers could work uh, behind the protection of the, the these towers. Well, the Tyranian people saw this and saw that they were making progress again. So they they took a boat that was in you know an old boat for horse transport is is what is told and they filled it full of combustible materials and hung oil pots off the side of the boat and they with a couple of of other boats they they took it to this the end of the causeway as it was being constructed lit fire to everything and and crashed it into the end of the causeway and, and all of the fortifications that the the Greeks had built were burned up. Well, so after their retreat, they regrouped. Alexander said, make it twice as wide. So they widened the causeway and went back, built more siege towers and did it again. And they made their way to the island all the way uh, as it kind of illustrates here in this rudimentary map. So they made their way there. They were still having problems. Alexander took ships and put battering rams on the front of the ships and took these ships against the walls from the sea in order to try and find a weakness in the walls. And they kept doing this and kept doing this until they were finally able to break through. And once they break through, uh, the city literally became a slaughterhouse reports indicate that you know 6000 of the tyranian defenders died in battle and alexander only lost reportedly 400 of the, of his own men in this final fight 
Uh, we expect that those numbers are exaggerated a little bit, but even though, even then, it's, it, it would still be, you know, a tremendous discrepancy. And reports are that once Alexander captured the city, 30,000 of the citizens of Tyre were sold into slavery. And, and 2,000 soldiers who fought in the final battles and were captured were actually uh, nailed to the fortifications on the front of the, the walls in the city of Tyre in a process that was new to the world at this time that became known as crucifixion. So, you know, the, what, what the city of Tyre went through here, ultimately at the hands of Alexander, the, one of the many nations, uh, was complete and utter destruction. Tyre was razed to the ground. And, you know, this was standard practice for conquest at this time, was to reduce the walls of a city completely. And it became a bare rock. And for uh, quite a while after this, the only use that this island had uh, was for drying nuts for fishermen in the area. So all of God's predictions for the city of Tyre were fulfilled took longer than <laughs> than Nebuchadnezzar would like for sure, but it, it did happen. In, in precise, he built a ramp. God had Alexander build a ramp against the city of Tyre to bring destruction to it. So it was no longer an island now. It's, it's connected. And over the centuries since then, all of the sand and silt from the movement of the sea kind of filled in in front of it and behind it. And that's where all this this land connection that you see now. So uh, not only was Alexander a great conqueror, he also altered maps. Uh, so that survives to this day. Uh, and has provided a place for a new city to eventually spring up and thrive. So you, that picture from 1934 didn't have a lot of houses on it, but now it's a thriving city, as you can see. So, uh, you know, another big feature here is that you see the Hippodrome there on the, uh, on towards me. That'd be your right side of the picture. <laughs> uh, that's from Roman times. So the Romans occupied this area for a long time as well. So this, this Hippodrome is one of the, largest hippodromes ever discovered uh, from Roman times as well. Uh, the Byzantines also occupied this area and built built a lot. There's, there's a lot of uh, ruins available in this area, but most of them date from uh, the time since, since the time of Christ. So in the three or 400 years after Christ is when this was a booming metropolis again. So... God predicted the destruction of Tyre, and God brought it to fulfillment uh, through the instruments that he prepared for that, through Nebuchadnezzar and through uh, Alexander as well. So, uh, Here in our passage in Ezekiel 26, starting in verse 12. Moreover, I will make the Nile canals dry. I'm in chapter 29. That won't work. So 26, verse 12. Also, they will make a spoil of your riches and a, and, and a prey of your merchandise. Break down your walls. Destroy your pleasant houses and throw your stones, your timbers, and your debris into the waters. So I will silence the sound of your songs, and the sound of your harps will be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You will be a place for the spreading of nets. You will be built no more, for I, the Lord God, have spoken. So this, this happened and occurred just the way God, through Ezekiel, prophesied. Continuing on in our passage, thus says the Lord God of of Tyre, shall not the coastland shake at the sound of your fall when the wounded groan, when the slaughter occurs in your midst, then all the princes of the sea will go down from 
their thrones, remove their robes, and strip off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling, and they will sit on the ground and tremble at every moment and be appalled by you. So the reaction of the kings around to the fall of Tyre uh, was was great. The, these kings uh, of the lands around looked at Tyre as being this invincible fortress, this powerful nation who had, she had actually withstood seven previous sieges, including that 13-year siege of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, without, maybe it was six, seven altogether, without being defeated. Uh, but Alexander brought her down, and, and the nations around would see this and tremble and say, if Tyre can't withstand this this army, who are we? Uh, you know, what have we got? What hope do we have? So that's where the lamentation that we see uh, coming up next. So the the islands looked at Tyre as, as more than just a, a powerful city. They saw her as an idol. You know, they wanted to be invincible like Tyre was. And then to see her fall would bring them them fear and trembling. So, <clears throat> those nations that once celebrated Tyre for her wealth and power would take up a lamentation, and we see that in verses 17 and 18. Uh, then in verse 19, in chapter 26, For thus says the Lord God, when I make a desolate city, like the cities which are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters cover you, then I will bring you down with those who go down to the pit, to the people of old, and I will make you dwell in the lower parts of the earth, like the ancient waste places with those who go down into the pit, so that you will not be inhabited. But I will set glory in the land of the living, I will bring terrors on you, and you will be no more. Though you will be sought, you will never be found again, says the Lord God. Now, a lot of Bible commentators in looking at this brief passage here uh, believe that God is speaking of more than just the city of Tyre here. That the analogy is made here between the evil city of Tyre uh, and Satan. Uh, and while God allows things to happen in this world and bad things to happen, evil people, what, you know, why do bad people thrive? Uh, why is, is immorality rewarded? And it, as we look at the world around us, we see things happening that just make us shake our heads, uh, you know, as God-fearing people. So when we see that, that, that the evil thrive and, and good is repressed, uh, you know, what's going on here? And this passage, this, this comparison of, of Satan with the city of Tyre uh, that's in this, this brief passage here kind of allows us to see that God is still more powerful than the powers that be in this world. And that he will bring his justice uh, to the world. And, and when his justice is carried out, it's final. Uh, it talks in this, this passage from 19 to, to 21 here, you know, about the pit a couple of times. And, and commentators believe that this is a reference to the, the, the pit that, the, that Satan will be thrown into. And then once that's closed in, in eternity, then they will be heard of no more. Uh, Satan's influence will be ended finally and completely, like taking an island nation and making it a bare rock. There will be nothing there to influence the world again. And God's power is above that uh, by declaring the, the total uh, destruction of this kingdom and comparing it to Satan's kingdom. God is saying that he's going to completely destroy Satan's kingdom and his power will be eliminated from the world. And, and it, for all eternity, it will be removed so far from them that 
that they can't be found anymore. Uh, so this, this is what God is saying to us. Now as we move into chapter 27, uh, changing of tone a little bit here. In 27 verses 1 through 3, we read this, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, take up a lamentation over Tyre, and say to Tyre, who dwells at the entrance to the sea, merchant of the peoples to many coastlands. Thus says the Lord God. And then he goes into his lamentation. God's not dancing a jig when evil people are destroyed. You know, God allowed the city of Tyre to thrive. She became wealthy. And in and, and, and what I'm trying to say here is God's not happy when evil people are given the punishment that they deserve. Uh, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And, and God is sad when evil people die even if it's deserved, even if it's him executing the judgment. Uh, he doesn't take some sort of sinister joy out of punishing the people of the earth, but he does it in order to fulfill his law. The, you know, he, he, his law has to be obeyed and followed, uh, and his standard is perfection. Uh, and when evil people... Uh, receive the punishment they deserve, God isn't happy. Uh, he is sad, so he sings this lamentation over the city of Tyre. Uh, you know, God opens the, the lamentation with, uh, you know, first of all, praising them. You know, you're the gateway to the sea, the, the provider of many nations. You've, you've flourished in all of this. You've been this. Uh, but they had a problem. And what was their problem? Was their problem all this wealth that they had, all the power that they had? No, it's that they let that wealth and power become the sin of pride. And, you know, Tyre, it says, you have, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Uh, your borders are in the heart of the sea. Your builders have perfected your beauty. They have made all your planks of fir trees. They have taken a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. And all of this, this beauty, this, this wealth, this power became a source of pride for the people of Tyre. Uh, you know, and because of this sin, God, uh, you know, God wasn't punishing them for being wealthy, wasn't punishing them for being powerful, wasn't punishing, punishing them uh, for being beautiful, she was punishing the, He was punishing them for being prideful, thinking that they had done it all on their own. And this this sin of pride is is pervasive in a world, in our world, you know. And it can become a sin that we need to watch out for. Um, you know, the wealth, the beauty, uh, the power isn't evil in it in itself, uh, but if it leads to sin. Uh, leads to pride, it can be destructive and will bring God's judgment upon you. You know, after God foretold of Tyrus's decision, uh, after God foretold of Tyrus's destruction in chapter 26, uh, he laments over the city. Uh, God's not pleased when he has to destroy anyone for his sins, for it is his will, as it as it talks about in Second Peter three nine, that all should repent and be saved. Uh, God addresses Tyre with honor, uh, first magnifying it at first, uh, and then uh, then brings his destruction upon it for its sin. Uh, and, and so God's not pleased when he has to punish us. Uh, he wants us to repent and come back to him and fellowship with him so that we can live with him forever. You know, we need, we need to understand that the benefits that we receive, the blessings that we have from God's hand come from him. Uh, and it's not because I deserve it or, or I merit it or I have done something great here to deserve this. It's because God has chosen to bless me.
So that was Tyre's problem. Uh, in Ezekiel 28, we see the word of the Lord came again to me saying, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted, lifted up and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are a man, this leader of, of Tyre, you are a man and not God, although you make your heart like the heart of God. Behold, you are continuing on, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that is a match for you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have acquired riches for yourself and have acquired gold and silver for your treasuries. By your great wisdom, by your trade, you have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have made your heart like the heart of God, therefore, behold, I will bring strangers upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, because you have made your heart like the heart of God, because you did that sin which Satan did tried to make himself equal with God, all these things would come upon them. They will bring you down to the pit, and you will die the death of those who are slain, it says in verse 8. So the, you know, God didn't condemn the prince of Tyre here again, not only the nation, but the prince himself, for the possession of riches or wisdom or how those riches uh, were used. It was because those riches... Uh, corrupted him and and made him pride prideful. Uh, you know the wisdom that brought him his wealth led to pride, and it was this inordinate pride that invoked that provoked God's wrath. And as we we finish up here today, I just want to finish with this. At the end of chapter 28, there's a, a little bit of a change in tone. In verse 25 and 26, it says this, Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered, and will manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they will live in their land which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live in it securely, and they will build houses, plant vineyards, and live and live securely when I execute judgments upon all who scorn them round about them. They will know that I am the Lord, their God. So this future, uh, you know, in, in the future, God promises restoration to Israel. And we're going to see some of that in the later chapters of this book as well. But God promises every frequently through the first 28 verse chapters of this book, we've seen frequently that God promises to save a remnant, promises to restore them, does this time and time again. He made a covenant with Abraham, and he's made a covenant with us. So he's going to fulfill that covenant that he made with Abraham. He's going to bring them back into their land. He's going to set them up safely and securely. Uh, Israel is in the land now, but can we say she's safe and secure? Uh, I think the missiles that come from their neighbors uh, belie that a little bit. But she will be safe and secure in, in that kingdom that, that God will establish. Uh, God will fulfill his promises to Abraham. He cannot do otherwise. Uh, and he will fulfill his promises and covenant to all those who follow Christ. So that is that is what we know about God, that he will he is a he is a jealous God. He punishes Israel when she disobeys his law. Uh, it is soon coming in in our timeline of our story here. It is soon coming the complete destruction of the city and the temple itself. Uh, he will bring destruction on those who disobey and, and don't follow his law. But he will uh, save a remnant. He will, he will restore and completely fulfill his promises to Abraham and to you and me. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who protects us. 
This is the God who provided a way for us to come back into fellowship in spite of the fact that we are sinful creatures. And this is, this is what we celebrate each and every day. And as, as we're remembering this morning later on uh, with, the, with the sacrament of communion, you know, we remember what Christ did to allow his righteousness to be imputed upon us, to allow us to have that fellowship with God that we were designed for and that we so desire. Uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lesson, lessons that are, are here in this passage. Uh, and we just ask that you would help us to trust you more, to know that your promises are secure, that you do what you promise you will do. You carry out those things that you say you will carry out, whether it be through punishment or through restoration. Uh, you are a just God, and you do love your people and, and weep over them when, when the punishment that they deserve is meted out. Help us to bring honor and glory to you and the things that we say and do this day and every day. Help us to encourage one another as believers in Christ. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.